I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zivyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. Are you stuck at home but desperate for a couple of kid-free hours? You can hire a virtual sitter now with our partner, Urban Sitter, the website and app that makes it easy to find, book, and pay background-checked sitters and nannies. As stay-at-home restrictions ease up, you'll be ready to find a trusted sitter for every scenario, whether it's a campless summer or unpredictable fall school schedule. So sign up at urbansitter.com and you can get 25% off your first Urban Sitter membership with promo code SUMMER25, all capitals, SUMMER25, which is good now through May 31st. So again, go to Urban Sitter and use code SUMMER25 to find your next sitter, which is a gift that keeps on giving. I'm here today with Lindsay Powers via Skype, who's the author of You Can't F Up Your Kids, A Judgment-Free Guide to Stress-Free Parenting. Lindsay is the creator of the hashtag No Shame Parenting Movement, which has reached more than 170 million people across social media. A longtime journalist, her work has appeared in The Washington Post, The New York Post, CBS This Morning, Good Morning America, CNN, and others. She was the founding editor-in-chief of Yahoo Parenting, and most recently, she was the vice president for lifestyle and entertainment at Sirius XM and the founder of a digital content consulting company. She currently lives in New York with her husband and two children. Thank you for doing this podcast. I'm sorry this has taken so long for us to meet. Congratulations on your release this week. It's so exciting. Thank you so much. I'm really excited about it. This is like a lifelong dream to write a book. Ever since I was a kid, I was a writer and, you know, I founded the middle school newspaper and all this ridiculous stuff. And so it feels like this really big life moment to finally release it as a book. It is a really big life moment. It's super exciting. I mean, congratulations. You should feel, I feel that a lot of authors now in the shadow of the coronavirus are feeling that they can't celebrate their accomplishments. And I don't think that's right. I think that there, this is a time where you have to sort of double down and say like, right. this is awesome. This is my life. And this is what life is all about. So I agree. If we don't find these little moments of happiness and joy, like what are we going to do? And also people are multifaceted. I mean, we can both be so grateful for our health, so kind of anxious or nervous about what's next, but also like proud of our work that we've done. All of these emotions can exist at the same time. Yes. And I think everybody is sort of dealing with like the poo-poo platterness of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That it's all there. Right. It's like we could never have planned this global pandemic, you know, so here we are just trying to do the best we can kind of in amid this, this madness. Yes. So, and your book is so great. And I love how you are just, well, why don't you tell listeners what it's about? So I don't have to, but I mean, I could summarize it, but you go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's called, you can't F up your kids. And it's an eye catching title. It's provocative because I wanted to start a conversation. I think that parents today are under so much pressure to be all the things to everyone, especially mothers, but, but everyone, you know, and I'm really proud that my book doesn't just speak to moms. It speaks to all different kinds of families and all different kinds of caregivers and family setups. But I, I had kind of two motivations into writing this book. I've been a journalist for a long time, specifically covering science and health and culture. And and so when I was when I was judged, you know, I opened the book talking about a woman calling me disgusting for breastfeeding my then 10-month-old at a pizza shop in Brooklyn. I, I just felt like, what the heck? Like, come on, we're all in this together. Chill. And you kind of have that feeling like you can't win. You, you you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Right. You breastfeed too long, you're a weirdo, you don't breastfeed enough, you're a bad mom. So just So as a journalist, I felt extremely compelled to research 
all of these hot button parenting topics and to also go beyond just like looking on the internet, but to call up the researchers behind all of these studies that people cite ad nauseum and put them on the spot. And what I found again and again in the book is that the research has a lot of shades of gray that's lost because nobody is going to study a pregnant woman and say, all right, you don't drink, you drink a glass of wine and you drink a bottle of wine. And we're going to measure your kid in 10 years and see how smart they are. So, which is good, right? We don't experiment on children and pregnant people. But so, so kind of like that, that uh, professional standpoint really want, you know, I really wanted to dive into this book. And then also from a personal standpoint, I grew up in a really kind of this like a, a really crazy childhood situation. I an abusive household. My mom's really mentally ill. She's a disabled veteran. And I joke, you know, I turned out mostly okay. And so now I'm raising my kids in this completely different experience, right? We live in Brownstone, Brooklyn. They're relatively privileged. And just hearing these brilliant, smart friends freak out about infant flashcards and the right preschool and organic food. I, I just was like, man, you know, kids can really go through so many different experiences and turn out okay. And if you are concerned about your kids, if you have that self-awareness, that means you're already a great parent. So I wanted to prove it through research. That's really awesome. I mean, I think that I think that when people have kids, they feel so out of control, right? They feel this like huge sense of responsibility and no one guidebook. And I think that all they can do is affect the environment. And so I think people put all this extra emphasis on it and forget to step back, no no fault of their own, and think like in the greater scheme of things, should I listen to the 30 other people in like my, you know, at my farmer's market talking about, you know, the the way I should do this. So it's to have a message like yours is so important because it's true. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not to keep talking, I'm sorry, but like I didn't realize how little I had to do with my kids' development until I had four kids. And I realized I'll, I have almost nothing to do with the way these kids are turning out. Like, <laughs> like I feel like it's almost like first do no harm. Like I'm just going to try yeah. not to mess them up. But in terms of improving them, there's really, they are who they are. <laughs> right. And I, I think there's this misnomer, right? That, that we are going to impact our kids' lives because we, you know, they, they watched one minute too much screen time over the recommended guidelines or because our frenemy from middle school who we follow on Instagram is doing something different or one of the Kardashians who we follow on Facebook or whoever. I mean, there's all these voices everywhere. And of course, we all want to be great parents. I mean, that's like, we we all just, it, it's a human instinct to be an awesome parent. But then because we're hearing so many voices all the time, I think that we can lose sight of just the really basic important things that kids need, which research shows is love, food, you know, something to eat, doesn't have to be perfectly organic, whatever, but something to eat and a, a warm place to sleep. And if you have those ingredients, your kids can really thrive. What a relief, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just <laughs> such a relief. I, you know, nothing you do, I mean, I hope it's a relief to people listening that the things that you do, like you're not in charge of making your kid smart. Like your kids either, do you know what I mean? Like there's not, it's yeah. not the way, like when my kids were little, I was like, I would take them to a music class and I'd be like, wait, should I be, you know, moving their arm now? Should I let them wander around? All these stupid <laughs> things. I mean, and now I'm like, gosh, it so didn't matter. And I feel like your book is so timely right now. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> talk a little about like just how necessary this is when we're all <laughs> stuck at home, not stuck, when we're all at home, you know, essentially protecting our children. Right. So, you know, obviously when I was writing this book, I wasn't like, 
a global pandemic is coming. It's really going to apply. But I do think that it applies to, to our lives right now more than ever because I cover so many things that parents are so concerned about. First and foremost, that we are somehow effing up our kids by them not being in school or by them being inside of our home much more often than they were in the past. And it's like, well, first of all, these are things that are out of our control right now. So what what can we do about them? And, you know, I really go through the research and talk about why extra screen time is not so bad. I mean, it's it's this judgy discourse. But when you look at actual research, you see kids as young as 18 months can learn a lot from screen time. And honestly, Nobody in 10 years is going to look back at this time and be like, man, you know, I really wish my kids had watched less Paw Patrol during that global pandemic. And if we are, maybe we should, you know, check our privilege. My kids are literally watching Paw Patrol right this moment in the next room. So (laughs) thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) I love we watch like a lot of episodes of Paw Patrol every day. Yeah, we've been we waited for the beginning, like when we first hunkered down. I think it was March 12th. There were all these ads. March 27th, new Paw Patrol is coming out. And so we've been counting down and finally they came out and now it was like a big celebration. So these are, these are now the things that we (laughs) cling to as big life events. (laughs) That is so funny. I know there was all these different forms. Like my kids are like, I don't want the, this Paw Patrol. I want the, you know, the super mighty pups, mighty pups. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, they're all, here they are. But, you know, we we find joy in the small moments. So I'm like, here are your mighty pups. I mean, I don't know about you. It sounds like, I mean, I'd love to hear more about your childhood. That sounds very unique and in so many ways. But at least from a TV perspective, I mean, I watch TV all the time as a kid. That's like, and so did everyone I know. Like, we all watch the same shows, right? We could all talk about like Little House on the Prairie or whatever. There weren't that many options, but... I think it's fine. I I don't know. What do you think? It's totally fine. I mean, look, I grew up in the summer watching The Price is Right with my grandparents and just Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, Hospital, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching the OJ Simpson trial when I was, you know, a kid (laughs) and a lot younger. And, you know, and, and now when you look at screen time now compared to what it was then when we were kids, I mean, it's so interactive now. There's educational components and not that everything needs to be ed- this educational, perfect TV show. But even when my kids are just like watching Nick Jr. or Disney Plus, there's interactive things. They're asking kids questions. So I, it's, it's really blown out of proportion. And when you dig into different, you know, the history of all these hot button topics and also how different cultures react to these hot button topics, you see that most of our judgment is based on cultural issues and not actual research. So screens are fine. Screens are fine. They connect (laughs) us too in a time when we need connection more than ever. Totally agree. Can you, I don't know how comfortable you feel talking about your growing up and your parents and all that. Can you tell, can you just tell me a little more about it? What was it like and how have you worked through it and all the rest? Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty open about my crazy childhood because I, I would like to think that maybe it would help someone who's going through the same thing. But, you know, my one of my first childhood memories is when I was seven years old, my dad driving around to bars with me trying to find my alcoholic mother. And, you know, when I was eight years old, watching pills swirl around the toilet because my mom was a drug addict. And so just being very parentified from a very young age, I basically raised my sisters, my parents divorced, and then we somehow ended up living with my mother who was extremely mentally ill. She still is extremely mentally ill. She has something called borderline personality disorder. She's also bipolar on top of that. And she was abusive when she wasn't not coming out of her bedroom for days. And 
you know, I can, she cooked two meals my entire childhood. You know, I don't think I even saw a vegetable until I was in high school, you know, for food. And, and we did kind of move in and out of relatives' houses. So I did have these pockets of sanity in between. You know, we lived with my grandparents a couple of times after we'd been like kicked out of various apartments or had to leave because my parents just couldn't get it together to pay the bill. And my dad worked a lot and traveled a lot and just was not super involved. He was not like a, a bad parent. He always provided kind of the basics when he could, but he just was a little out of the picture and not as involved. So my mom, you know, would bring home like a bag of like chicken sandwiches from Burger King and put it in the fridge when I was in elementary school. And that's like what I would feed my sisters for an entire week. We were on food stamps at one point. We're in and out of poverty. My friend who's a school social worker has told me as an adult that I would have been considered homeless by the school system because of the way that we were kind of moving so much and in and out of different family homes. You know, my mom started entering rehab at eight. When I was eight, she's been multiple times. She's had multiple suicide attempts throughout her life. Uh, she kicked me out of the house when I was 16. She punched me into a brick wall. I left, moved in with my aunt and uncle. And then she lost custody of my, signed over custody of my sisters. I have two younger sisters shortly after that. And after she had like a, a really terrible suicide attempt that was pretty serious. And, you know, I, I went away to college. I worked a lot of campus jobs. I, I was on the Pell Grant. I, like, I'm not somebody who comes from a privileged background at all. I I've just finished paying off my student loans like a year ago. I, you know, I, I married my high school sweetheart. We got married really young at 21. I went to journalism school, moved to New York when I was t 21, hardly, you know, and we scraped it together. I had $800 to my name when we moved to the city. And since then, I built this really amazing life that I'm really proud of. I, I have two wonderful sons. I live in Brooklyn, which is just it's just like the People's Republic of Brooklyn. It's such like a magical place to raise kids. You know, my husband and I bought a house and renovated it ourselves over the course of a million weekends of two years. So I live this like very lucky life now. But I have a really unique perspective on child rearing because of my childhood. And oh, one thing that I didn't mention that's also a huge part of my family history is when I finally escaped kind of this crazy background. I was working at that time as a reporter at Us Weekly and I was in Miami in, on assignment and I got a phone call. It was like 15 phone calls in the middle of the night. My mom had fallen down the stairs and broken her neck and I was her power of attorney for property and health. I was in Miami on assignment. I had to get on a plane. I was in charge of pulling the plug or not. I, she ended up making it through the night. Now she's quadriplegic. So I manage all of her finances to this day. And I mean, my extended family does the bulk of the caregiving, but it is still to this day, like a, a really interesting dynamic with my family. Lindsay. Uh, oh my gosh. That is a lot. I cannot, I mean, wow. That first of all, thank you for sharing it and being open about it. And second of all, just wow. <laughs> that you can power through and you appear to be coming not from a place of anger, but of wanting to help and share and, and make things easier for other people, which is amazing, really. I mean, you could have you could have taken this in very a lot of different directions. It could have been a you could have written a memoir about, you know, I mean, what do you think it was about or maybe it's just who you are as a person that made you take this experience and give it as like a gift in a book to help other parents who are worrying about what you must think are the stupidest things ever. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, I never want to downplay other people's and parent struggles because I also, you know, I have a four and a six year old and like, I'm always like, oh, you know, and I, so I also am concerned about like all these things that every parent is concerned about. But I have kind of this voice in the back of my head that's like, this is nothing. And like in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's become kind of, my childhood has become kind of my guiding light in I can kind of measure my anxieties and concerns against it and be like, is this a big deal? No, Paw Patrol is not a big deal. Like, we're going to be fine. But I, you know, I, I think uh, I, because I have my grandparents who we moved in with for a couple of years, formative years, like three different times in my life, and my aunt and uncle who I'm very close with, and they had a huge hand in raising me, because I kind of had these moments of stability and other people in my life that were there for me. I think that helped me a lot, but I'm, I am somebody who's like, I don't stress out over a lot of things. I'm really scrappy. I don't have that kind of safety net. So I am always hustling all the time. And I I think the good thing is that I'm really resilient with it. And that's something I want to pass down to my kids. And I know that's something that so many parents want to pass down to their kids. Wow. But I don't want to pass it down like I learned it. Right. <laughs> pass it down with a, a nicer childhood. Yes, a different uh, container to pass it through or something. Right. <laughs> how did you go about starting a no shame parenting movement? Like, how do you just decide to start a movement? Like, I know you were at Yahoo at the time and Yahoo Parenting and had the resources of that sort of, you know, those the wind at your sails. But can you tell me a little more about that? Like, how do you become a movement starter? <laughs> <laughs> So I was the editor-in-chief of Yahoo Parenting, and we had this small team. And we saw that anytime we wrote a story on feeling judged or another like celebrity who had been judged or a mom who had been judged or any parent, we would get a ton of positive responses. And everyone would be sharing their stories on the comments, on Facebook, on Instagram. And so... You know, and we also were feeling it because we were all really young parents. Uh, I know you had Rachel Birchie on your show yes. too. She was on my Yahoo Parenting team. She's incredible. Oh, um, I loved her. She's, so we all kind of came together and we were like, we have to do something. So we came up with the idea of No Shame Parenting and to build a big movement around it. So we started it, you know, we came up as with anything. We're like, we'll do some stories and we'll do a survey. And we'll, you know, we launched this video series called What It's Like to show different kind of families because we we thought it was so important to open the conversation because when you scroll social media now or talk to people everyone's always just their highlight reels everything's perfect and we wanted to kind of give people permission from the big platform of Yahoo to be real to open the conversation so we started it it ended up going insanely viral i mean it really resonated i ended up um i was in the white house interviewing valerie jarrett by the end of the week which was unbelievable you know president obama's advisor and I, you know, as I'm Good Morning America talking about no shame parenting, and we were able to pull all the analytics of how far and how many people, all of the stories and the tweets and the social media and the hashtag no shame parenting and content surrounding it had reached more than 170 million people across social media. And we just were so excited because we felt really passionate about it. Well, then Yahoo was sold and they closed down all of these different sections, unfortunately. And it was so devastating because I was like, oh, Like we just have all this momentum. We're having the most important conversation and now we're not going to be able to finish it. So at that point, I was literally nine months pregnant with my second son, Otto. And so I went out on maternity leave and had him. And shortly after I came back, I was like, I need to write a book. It was like one of those mornings where I drank two cups of coffee and I was feeling really hyper. And I just like, you can't fuck up your heads. Just, or you can't fuck up your kids. Just 
came into my head. And I wrote a query letter and I sent it to a friend of mine who's an agent. And he wrote me back and he was like, eh, it's not for me, but let me introduce you to another agent friend of mine. I connected with him. That was March 31st, 2017. From there, like it took off and my book came out March 31st, 2020. So exactly three years to the day of me sitting down super caffeinated and writing a query letter to, you know, the book hitting stores. Wow. That's not bad. That's for all, you know, book journey timelines. That's pretty fast. <laughs> I know. And that's, and that's the thing. And I, I hear from so many people all the time. They're like, I want to write a book. And I think they have this idea that it's, that it's this like really fast process. And I mean, right. Like, as you've said, three years, is not even that long in book writing journey time. Yeah. I mean, a book you sell today might not come out for a year anyway, right? If, <laughs> so. Exactly. It's crazy. And and I will admit, I did quit two jobs in the middle because I kept trying to like do it all. And I was like, and I can't do it all. So I kept like, so I ended up quitting Yahoo after I signed with my agent. So I was like, great, I'm going to like take a couple months and work on my proposal and then I got another job. So I, I spent some months writing my proposal and then I put that in and then I went to SiriusXM to be the VP of Lifestyle and Entertainment. And then my book ended up going to auction. And I remember sitting down at Sold to Simon & Schuster and my editor was like, like, how will you raise children and write a book and be like a vice corporate vice president? And I was like, I don't know. And I like quit my job a month later because (laughs) I couldn't get it together to do it. And I, I thought when I look back at this life moment, writing a book would be something like I would rather accomplish than being a corporate vice president. Well, it sounds like anytime you want, you could get your, you could get back into that. You know, like, <laughs> we'll see. We, I mean, life, we don't obviously, know. Obviously the world is a different place now, but um, well, that's great. Well, I'm so glad you took that time and, and did this. I mean, so did you, did, when you actually did the writing, where did you, like, did you work at home or did you go outside? Like, I just like to know about people's process. Where did you like to write? I joined the wing. I'm obsessed with the wing as someone who has always had a job and like, like, I just felt like I needed like a place to go every day. So I, mo- I mostly wrote it at the wing in Dumbo, Brooklyn, and a little bit in Soho, and sometimes at home. And I'm, I'm really lucky that I kept my childcare throughout the whole time. Because as we're all learning now, as we're trying to juggle work and our children, yeah, not <laughs> so easy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, back to Paw Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My, my babysitter of the moment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Do you think you want to write another book having gone through this process? I would love to. It's, it's, I mean, writing a book is the most bewildering. Well, not the most bewildering. I think what we're living through right now is the most bewildering thing to do. But writing a book is this really weird process, I feel like, because you are just pouring your heart and soul into your computer every day and there's not a ton of human interaction or feedback and you really don't hear anything about it until years later when you release it to the world. So, you know, I'm, I'm like one of those writers who loves having written, not the actual like writing of a book. But I'm also, because I've been a journalist for so long, I'm not one of those people that needs to like go into a field and find inspiration. Like, I'm like a utility writer. Like, I made myself write 2,000 words a day and sat down and wrote 2,000 words a day until my book was done. So yes, I hope my book does well enough to where I can write another couple in the series and maybe one day actually write that memoir because I think I have a big story to tell there too. Yeah, I was going to say, if you, I was going to encourage you to write that memoir. If you, <laughs> not that you haven't thought of it, but I, that's one I would love to read. I mean, wow. And your perspective on it seems so unique too. So Yeah. But we definitely need like, you can't F up your teenagers, (laughs) 
you can't like because my kids are my kids are about to be teenagers. It's like I need I I need you to like focus on a slightly older group now. <laughs> I mean, this is great because right, I wrote this like the beginning couple of chapters are much more baby focused, and then it kind of goes into to hitting you know screen time and meal time and all the things that is very applicable to all different kinds of families. And then I really focus on adults and sex and all of those things, the relationships. But I definitely think it would be fun to kind of write all the books as my kids age too. Cause I like my kids are four and six now, like I'm ready for, you can't F up your tween and you can't F up your teen. And so we'll see. Well, if you need any help with the research, just email me for any questions because I'm sure I am messing them all up. So <laughs> There is no way you are messing them up. The fact that you are concerned about how you are as a parent means you are way ahead of the curve and your kids are doing more than fine. No. They're thriving. I'm kidding. They're fine. They're, you know, whatever. <laughs> They'll be fine. I know. <laughs> um, do you have any words of advice for aspiring authors? Yeah, to stick with it because I think, you know, there's like, again, this idea that's a really fast process, but it's not, you know, I mean, I have been working on a book. I've been like manifesting it since I was born basically, but I started writing the memoir at one point, maybe 10 or 12, gosh, even more 12 years ago. And then it was very heavy. And I was like, I don't want to write this. Then I started writing a different book at one point and it kind of fell apart. I'd gotten a job at that point that ended up being really busy. So I like let it go. And then I signed with one agent that didn't work. And then, so it's, it's, I think it's just kind of keep it, keep at it. And just the idea to write every day, because I, I also think that there's kind of this idea that only good, good writers have to go on a writing retreat somewhere. And I'm totally not knocking that if that's your process, because whatever your process is, is, is amazing and you should do it. But especially for parents of young children, I think this idea that we need to be able to like go on this beautiful writer's retreat to write our first novel is like a little bit of a misnomer. I mean, you can, you can write anywhere. All you need is a computer. You can, I I mean, I wrote part of my outline on my phone while I was commuting back and forth to work. So I think that it's very doable and you should give yourself time and space and grace and eventually your message will get out there. Thank you. I love that. (laughs) Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks for coming on Moms No Time to Read Books. And thanks for being really inspiring. I feel very inspired having spoken to you today. Seriously. So thank you. Maybe that like, I mean, someone of your caliber saying that to me, I mean, the the way I see you support writers and authors is so amazing and inspiring. And I'm filled with gratitude for it every day. So I appreciate you taking the time to to interview me as well. Yeah, no, it's truly a pleasure. All right. Thanks, Thanks. Lindsay. (laughs) Thanks so much, Zibi. Okay. Hang in there. Take care. (laughs) You too. too. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibi Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks again to Urban Sitter for partnering with us today and offering a 25% discount on Urban Sitter memberships with promo code SUMMER25. So anybody who needs a sitter or a nanny or anybody to help you, if you can actually get out of your house, go to Urban Sitter. This will be your go-to and lifesaver. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Mm-hmm.